Now please turn in your copies of God's Word to the 100th Psalm. I've actually looked at the 100th Psalm once before in a Thanksgiving Day service with this congregation, but bring somewhat of a different angle and new insights at points as we look at it this morning. I have very fond memories of this psalm from many times in my Christian life, and one of the first psalms I ever translated from my Hebrew Old Testament was the 100th Psalm. Will you bow with me in prayer? Our Father, as we come to this wonderful psalm, we ask for the blessed work of the Holy Spirit. Give to each of us soft and teachable hearts. Remove hardness. Remove those things that distract. Help us to focus upon the God who is the true, the living God, the triune God revealed in Holy Scripture and who reveals His covenant faithfulness to us in this psalm. Help us this day to have true thanksgiving, not as the world might count it, but as thanksgiving is recorded for us and enjoined upon us in the Word of God. And may the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ so fill our hearts and our minds that we will be future-focused, focused indeed upon the past, what Christ has done for us, thankful for what He is doing in the present, but looking forward to His coming and that great day of harvest home of which we have sung together only a few moments ago. These things we ask in the name of Christ, the only King of God's people, the one who has redeemed us from our awful, hell-deserving sins. In his name, amen. Will you please stand with your copy of God's Word as we read the 100th Psalm. This is the word of the Lord. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. The word of the Lord, please be seated. People of God, the Lord has saved us to praise His name, to live every moment of life to His praise, honor, and glory. And He is worthy of praise, worthy of worship, and only He is worthy. The psalm, well known to us, is a psalm that is filled with praise. But then it also tells about the heart that renders praise. Psalm 100 is the summit of a group of psalms, beginning with Psalm 93 to 100, that are sometimes called homage psalms, because they exalt the Lord in his kingly reign and bring to us in utter humility that thoughtful attitude of dependence upon the living and the true God that should constitute our lives. I will not attempt anything exhaustive, but I want to bring two truths to us primarily. First of all, let us look at the character of the God who reveals himself to us in this psalm. 
According to the psalm, he is the God who reigns. Again, it is a homage psalm. The God who reigns, Psalm 99.2. The God who will reign, Psalm 98.9. The God who so reigns that even nature praises him, Psalm 98.7 and 8. And so there is a call in this text for us to shout God's praise. Psalm 100 goes far beyond the narrow confines of Israel. It includes the nations. It includes even nature itself in this call to shout aloud his glory and honor. The shout must extend as far as the curse is found. The shout of acclamation in this fallen world anticipates even the renovation of the heaven and earth at the coming of Jesus Christ. It anticipates that of which we read in Romans chapter 8 when we read that the whole of creation groans in longing for the return of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he is the God who reigns. But also he is in this text very wonderfully, powerfully, and tenderly our covenant God. For you see, the divine name, Yahweh, which is used four times in the first stanza, the name Elohim is also used in the psalm, but Yahweh is peculiarly the covenant name of God. It is the name of which we think when we see that he is high, exalted, and lifted up, but also condescends to show love and mercy to his people whom he has redeemed. It is the name of which we read in Exodus 3, I am that I am. Ultimately, we learn that the meaning of Yahweh as we trace it through Scripture is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God who has redeemed us through the work of Jesus, our Lord. This is the name of the God who makes covenant with his people, who has a bond of union and communion with those whom he saves, who has a bond of friendship with his people through the blood of Christ. So that the ultimate fulfillment of God's covenant purpose is seen in the cross of Jesus Christ. This is the new covenant in my blood, says our Savior. And it extends all the way to the end of time for those who are purchased by the blood of Christ shall never fall out of that bond of friendship that the Lord has made with his redeemed. For we read in the last book of the Bible, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. You see, all the way to the end of the Bible, the covenant formula repeated through Scripture, I will be your God, you will be my people, is repeated for us so that we may know that when the time comes that the Lord Jesus, as Rutherford said, takes his cotton cloth and wipes the tears from our eyes, all along he has determined to save, redeem, keep, and to bring you into that ultimate joy because of the covenant condescension of Yahweh revealed to us in Psalm 100. And so at the end of the psalm, God's covenant faithfulness is stressed. We read in verse 5, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. His covenant faithfulness is stressed by these words, steadfast love, which translates 
one word from the Hebrew, which is the word chesed. I'm sure you're familiar with that word. We've mentioned it many times here. For the Lord, which is Yahweh, the covenant name, is good. His chesed, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Steadfast love is God's covenant love, or his covenant faithfulness to his people. So much is involved in that word that it's almost an untranslatable word because it takes so much in order to understand the fullness and depth of how the Lord uses it here and elsewhere. And it is wonderful for us to consider in all of the changes of life. You see, with us there is motion and change and measurability and causality and limitation. Our breath is in our nostrils, but God's love, God's love is different. It participates in his everlasting nature. His love is everlasting. His commitment to his people does not change. No matter what else changes in life, the Lord pledges himself to us forever. Just one psalm over in the 102nd psalm in verses 25 through 27, God says this to us, Of old you have laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They will perish, but you remain the same. They all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they shall pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. This is the God who has made covenant with his people, who condescends to love, to save, and to keep, and to show his covenant love that never fails and never changes despite the circumstances of life. And therefore, the praise that we offer, it is almost unbelievable to consider, but it really is so. The praise that we offer is because the God of the universe, the God who is the creator, the God who is is the sustainer, is also the redeemer, who has condescended to make friends with us through the blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. And this all is anticipated throughout the Bible in his use of his covenant name, Yahweh. At once transcendence and eminence, the great God who sits upon his throne, who has condescended through the second person of the Trinity to enter into time and space and to suffer and bleed and die so that the covenant blood might be shed and we might be forever purchased. Isn't this wonderful, people of God? And then he is the creator and sustainer of his people, as we read in this text. And as such, we praise him for his sovereign care. He has shown his care in forming us as his own people. Notice how it's put there in verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves, the authorized says, and we are his, also a possible translation, but it is is he who has made us. The point here, of course, is not simply that he is the creator in the sense of Genesis 1, which he is, and that is a glorious truth, but he actually forms his people to be his people. He forms his church, and that is the meaning of verse 3. We read in Isaiah 43, the people whom I formed for myself. In Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so we are his flock, special to him because he is our shepherd. 
as our shepherd, the Lord guides, the Lord protects, the Lord preserves. He is gentle and familiar with us. He chastises, he guides and shows us the way. And should we not most think here of the words of our Lord Jesus, those precious words in which he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. Oh, never doubt his love, people of God. He is the good shepherd. You are his people. And for his people, he suffered and bled and died. But the amazing thing is, he is the God, this God who is Yahweh, this God who is the creator, sustainer, this God who has formed his people is a God who may be known. Surely the know of verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. The know of verse 3 is not only that we know about God, but that we know him personally. How do we know him personally? through the blessed work of the Spirit of God that opens our hearts, that shows us our need, that brings into our hearts saving faith, that enables us to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives, and also by His loving care, the joys and the chastisements that He gives in our lives so that we may come to depend upon Him and know Him to be the God that He is. Now, you know, this is an ancient confession. And the people of God have known throughout the centuries that he is the God who may be known. One of the tragedies of modern double talk about God is that he is a God who cannot be known. But he has chosen to reveal himself. And there in 1 Kings and in Deuteronomy and 2 Kings, this formula, know the Lord that he is God, is repeated. He is unique. He is incomparable. But we may know him. We may know him and know him better and better, people of God, as our lives move on. And here is the certainty of faith that belongs to every true believer in Christ. The psalmist does not begin with, let's postulate the possibility that there may be a God. Or suppose that there were such a being as God. No, no, it begins with the praise of the living God who is. Know that the Lord he is God. This is fundamental to everything. Apart from this, life would be senseless. And unless you begin and end with the God of the Bible, you can know nothing, nothing rightly. Well, that's the God of whom we see in this psalm. But also it says something to us, this psalm does, of the heart that knows him. And it begins with praise. We're praising in this psalm. The psalm begins with the imperative, shout. The worship that is offered to such a God must be out of a heart of joy, not always happiness, but of true joy. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. We are to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks and bless his name. But sadly, not all men praise God. And this is the great grief that we know and sense and feel and experience in our hearts, that we long for men and women and children to know this God and to serve Him well and to praise His name and to know Him as Redeemer, but not all know Him. They cannot praise Him. What kind of heart praises God? Well, note the psalm's title. It is a psalm for giving thanks. Now, the word thanks in Hebrew is the word toda, and toda means thanksgiving, but it also can mean thank offering. 
And it is probably here, bringing to our minds and hearts attention the Old Testament believer that would come into the temple or into the tabernacle, and he would offer a thank offering, which was one of the peace offerings of which we read in Leviticus chapter 7. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, or enter into his gates with a thank offering. And only thankful hearts can give genuine praise. The pastor of my youth, James M. Baird, told a story that I've, I've repeated perhaps a few times here, but <clears throat> Dr. Baird was traveling in his ministry, and he was uh, in a taxi and struck up a conversation with a taxi driver. The taxi driver wanted to know about him, found out he was a preacher. What kind of preacher are you? One thing led to another, and he said, may I talk with you? I know you've heard it all, but I doubt that you've heard this. And Dr. Baird was thinking, of course, I've heard everything. But he was not prepared for what the man said. He'd never heard this. The man said to him, Preacher, I am eaten up with ingratitude. I am eaten up with ingratitude. Never have we lived in such a country, never have people lived in such a place in which we have such abundance, so much, and yet we are eaten up with ingratitude. Romans chapter 1, God gave them over because they were ungrateful and not thankful. Well, the answer to this, of course, is the thank offering that points to a Savior, which shows that our salvation was dependent on blood because, you see, the peace offering, of which the thank offering is one, comes in the context of the trespass offering, which was the blood shed. It is only, therefore, those who have known the forgiveness of their trespasses that can be truly and deeply thank thankful to God and can praise His name no matter what the experiences of life, which shows that our salvation was completely dependent on blood atonement and for which we offer thanks. The meal offerings, the peace offerings, represent the benefits of the forgiveness of sins. They represent the benefits of the shed blood. They represent the benefits of the atonement. I ask you, what makes it possible for you this morning to praise God, no matter what life is like? Is it not because Jesus died for you? I ask you, what, what does it take for a heart to be so transformed and changed that it is filled with praise, even when you're on a sickbed or when you go through experiences that are hard and even seem harsh, is it not Jesus shed his blood to die? What does it take to have a, a new heart? Is it not a new heart that was purchased by Jesus on Calvary? What is it that gives to me a heart upon which is written the law of God, taking away the heart of stone, giving to me a heart of flesh? Is it not the shed blood of Jesus on Calvary? What is it that makes it possible for a sinner who once despised the living and true God, who was eaten up with ingratitude, completely self-centered, who knew nothing of worship, now to delight in the public and private worship of the living God and hearing His Word and living under the authority of this Word as a pilgrim on your way to the celestial city. It is the blood, the precious, precious blood of Jesus Christ. And that is the high cost. That is the terrible cost of thanksgiving. Because the cost 
for our giving thanks this morning, having hearts that long to do it, is knowing Jesus Christ who atoned for our sin and satisfied the wrath of God in our place. Who, knowing the wrath of God, has been carried away by our Savior? Who can fail to be grateful for the terrible cost that makes it possible for us to praise Him, sing His praises, and offer our testimonies of thanks? this morning, I ask, do you know this Redeemer? Do you know this Savior? Have you trusted in Christ alone for your salvation and redemption? Do you trust the one who shed the blood of the covenant, who condescended to make friendship with sinners who trust in his name? And so, do we bring offerings today? The Levitical system is finished in Christ. We take Psalm 100 and we sing it as Christians in this present day between the ascension and the return of Jesus Christ, but we do not bring Levitical offerings because Jesus shed his blood, but there is one offering. Even though Jesus shed his blood once for all and we add nothing to it because his work was finished and complete. If we're saved, it is because of the finished work of Christ. Nonetheless, there is one offering that we continue to bring in our day and in our time. And we read of it in Hebrews 13. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Oh, let the praise, acknowledging his name with the fruit of our lips and lives, be the sacrifice that we bring in this new covenant era. Through him, let us continually offer up such a sacrifice of praise. And in eternity, that sacrifice, sacrifice of praise will continue when we cast our crowns at his feet, the one who purchased us from our sins, the one who is Lord of all. Will you pray with me? Almighty God and our Heavenly Father, we are grateful to know that the benefits of the gospel that belong to every true believer in Jesus Christ, the benefits of Christ's atonement in our lives are demonstrated with thanksgiving and thankful hearts. Give to us such deep appreciation for the psalm that we have read, for the covenant faithfulness of our God, for being a part of the covenant people of God, for being a part of the covenant people of God throughout the ages, that we will not live for this world, that we will not think autonomously, that we will not set our own direction, but that we will know that life apart from the covenant word is absurd. Help us to submit ourselves completely and utterly to this word. Convict us of our sins, Indeed, if there is the lost individual or individuals here today, O oh, Father, we pray that thou wilt save them. But we also pray that each of us as the people of God will so render thanks unto thee that we will do all within our power through the blessed work of the Spirit of God to mortify sin and to be vivified in the Spirit, upon whom we depend as we pray in the name of our covenant Lord who shed his covenant blood Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.